Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, episode number 110, well on our way to show 200. <laughs> we're on our way, mate. We struggled to plan for 100, no, don't give us... Way. Well you, and truly on our way. That's unbelievable for me. Uh, that's Mark Hayes, hello Hazy. <laughs> hello Murray. <laughs> Alison Woody, get the bands back together, oh, this is two is. weeks in a row. I, I know, it. I know, it's three for me, can't believe it. Those, I've got to say though, I mean we've got a great episode coming up today, but the last <laughs> two episodes for me Bang on. have been... Benchmarks, yep. uh, um, you know what? And thank God we got past episode twenty as well, <laughs> just, just, just quietly because we wouldn't have heard what we did in the last fortnight. So pretty cool. Happy to be back. Uh, been a great couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, just again a belated thanks not only to uh, Hannah and Richie from a fortnight ago, but to Stewie to come in. Stewie Appleby last week. If you haven't heard the chat, uh, you can find it easily wherever you download your uh, podcasts from. Uh, it's well worth a listen. Um, Hazy has been in full <laughs> Petrocelli mode um, this week. <laughs> And if you know oh, who Petrocelli is, you're pretty old. He was a TV detective, private investigator type operator. I'm more your sort of Kojak operator, Andy. But you've got far too much hair to be Kojak. That's a good point. And we'll um, forever be the Kojak. Yeah, we have. We've tracked down the mystery man of, uh, of Australian golf. And I'm really happy to say that we found Won June Lee in a yep. little corner of career. And he's come, and come on the show with us a little later on. And I can't wait to talk to him about... His achievements and his ride and everything through his pro career. So, and um, he's and he's had a cracking win a couple of weeks ago, and we're, we're going to be really lucky to talk to him about it. All the members of the Matty Cutler fan club uh, will be happy to know as well. And there's there's all of twenty three or twenty four of them uh, that the great man's going to be on the show a bit later on as well. A load to get through. Um, remarkable, remarkable scenes again for the second week in a row. Um, if I can start on the PGA Tour, um, we had. The Nate Lashley story from a fortnight ago, and we told that story last week. Well, to see the way it played out this week, the, the last 45 minutes, again, it can take some time getting there on occasion over in America because the, the, if you're not interested in the ball being struck by the club, there cannot be a lot of other stuff there to <laughs> hold your interest, such as the nature of golf in America at the time. But it did build to a drama on Sunday that was – it was – it was bloody compelling. Like to see these two kids, one ranked 650 in the world, one ranked 650 in the world, um, chasing down Bryson DeChambeau, who laid it out with his eagle on 18 and said, Right, oh boys, see what you've got. Um, and they both found one birdie to tie the other, Matthew Wolf, who's going to be a story and fun to watch, eagle to win on 18. This was. Um, this was remarkable stuff. It, and that was the part, I think, that has uh, it's it's gone viral, or virus as I prefer to say, because right. um, I'm in with the crew. Um, so it's 20, <laughs> 26 feet from off, essentially just off the edge yeah. of the green. But uh, like when 
you look at a year, right? So let's say on the major tours that we get to see, so obviously we don't get to really see much in Korea and Japan, which is why we're looking so much forward to, to talking to Wonjun in a little bit. But, you know, you, you think of the European tour, you think of LPGA, maybe LET and, and the men's PGA tour, and they're, they're kind of the stock standard when we have events in Australia. Obviously, we switch them on. But let's say there's a hundred and 150 to be generous, maybe 160 events of the year. Um Maybe three would have a finish like that oh, if, yeah. you, if you're lucky. Yeah, like yeah. it was, it was special. It really was. It was really cool, and and especially uh, you know a guy like like Matt Wolf, who is so far outside the norm in golf with his golf swing. Like we can't, you can't go any further. I don't think without actually setting out what makes him different from everyone, which is his his action. So he's got so many different sort of quirks to his swing. It, you don't even bother trying to, um, you know, kind of talk your way through it because it's just so unorthodox. Ali, how much pressure, if that's the right word, would there have been on this kid uh, when he was coming up through the ranks before he got to collegiate level to iron that out? Look, clearly you're a good player, but you're not going to be able to, this is, un, you're not going to be able to replicate this. This is not going to stand up. Whatever they would have said to him, would there have been a real pressure on him to, to straighten that thing up? I'm going to be slightly controversial and say that that is, I would say it's the one thing that America does better than any nation in the world and it's let players have the swings okay. that they have. So I'm going to cast it back. When I went over and played the US Amateur um, when I was about 18 or 19 and I, and I went up against a girl called Amanda Blumenhurst who had, I had no idea who she was. Mm. I saw her golf swing and went, yep, I can take this. <laughs> legitimately mm. went, this isn't going to be an issue. And and then I saw her actually hit it and I went, oh, hang on, she can actually crunch, mm. really crunch a golf ball. And she had a very, you know, kind of took it way inside, came across it um, and it had a, a big kind of loop in it, but her, her contact was incredible. And I went, oh, okay, this is really interesting. And you've got players like Natalie Golbus and, and Paula Kramer as well that fit inside that category of, at that point in time, of really quite funky golf swings. Mm. Um, but they, all three of them played their own golf, and no, I'd never heard anyone try and push them into the the regular golfing mould. And I think that that's something that we could learn from in Australia here. We're always trying – we're known for our ball strikers. Mm. When, when we go away, Aussies are some of the best ball strikers in the world. And I think the golf courses sometimes dictate that as well because of, you know, McKenzie layouts in, in, you know, um, and what the golf course requires of the player. But – I actually think that you see something like that and you go, does it work? Yes. How can we maintain it? That's the question for me. And I, I think there's something to be learnt from it. Yeah, that's a really good point. He he gave us a bit of an insight accidentally, I reckon, and it wasn't um, overt at all. But there was a way too brief interview with him on the um, green after he won. Clearly, there's some time constraints. Get a question, get off the green, understand how that works. But he was clearly highly emotional when yeah. he won. And he said something like, um, they always said to me that I was the you know, most natural talent they'd ever seen come through at Oklahoma or wherever he played his college goal, Oklahoma. Oklahoma State. You know, the coaches said, oh, I was the most naturally gifted player or the, you know, the best junior player they saw come through. So Ricky you know, Fowler went there. Okay. Well, just well, to put that okay, into context. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And it wasn't a brag. It was just, he was just kind of, you know, I, this is where I want to be, and I see myself being capable of, you know, winning. Sure, it's come quickly. It was his only third start as a pro. Um, but if that is how good 
he is, um, alongside other alma mater that have come through that program, and he's he's chasing down a guy like DeChambeau, who and such was the layout of that hole. He's only two hundred meters away when yeah, he saw. You could see it all. He unfold. saw it all. It was just across the pond. He saw that happen. So this wasn't like he had to wait for a distant roar and someone give him a number. He saw it with his own human eyes from not that far away, and then he just goes out and makes it happen. That that is look. We'll wait and see. Nothing's ever for certain in this game, but gee whiz. So you mentioned his third start as a pro. It's his fourth start on uh, the US tour. Um, Eldrick Woods won on his fifth start on tour, Andy. So it's a uh, um, yeah. Not, we're taking we're discount. Well, that includes starts as an amateur. Mm. So as the fourth one does for for Wolf. I had him at nineteenth. His 19th start. So you and I have gone into the same stat and found different. So one of us is going to be right. I know. But I say that to back you up, not to sell you out, because it's probably me. Trust me. No, no, I don't think it would be. You're the stat queen. So maybe. But anyway, whichever way we we package that. I'm back in LA on this one. Yeah, I am too. (laughs) It's a worry that I'm back in (laughs) LA. But regardless, he's ahead of Tiger in that sense. Whether Ali's right or or I'm right and it'll be Ali. So what year does he get Jack? What year does he run down, Nicholas? <laughs> well, he hasn't had the you know same no, exposure joking. clearly, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, it as you alluded then, and you know, look, this is a Mickey Mouse tour event, and all the big guns weren't there and blazing and all that oh, sort yeah, of stuff. We Boston get all that. Spent three hours in the three M, you know, factory. We, we're going to come to that. We're going to come to that oh, in a second. Oh God, uh, it, this was special. Mm, this, it really was. This was special, and his reaction, the eagle finish, everything. Made an event in Minnesota that otherwise wasn't, mm. uh, and I reckon he won a lot of fans. Uh, and you know, he he had a great collegiate career, capped it off with the NCAA title in May. Um, you know, I, I wanted to bring up not only DeChambeau, but also you also mentioned Oklahoma State. If there was ever an amateur group of, well, in this case, men, I'm assuming the women have the same privileges. I'm not sure who are. Pros in the waiting. It's the Oklahoma State University golfers. They have um, been literally private jetted around the country for the last couple of years. There's a jet, Andy, the Oklahoma State <laughs> golf team jet that ferries them and ships them to and from tournaments and trainings and other commitments. It's unbelievable. Um, don't ever let anyone tell you that NCAA's one of those letters means amateur. That's a complete <laughs> crock. Um, but yeah, these guys are ready. I mean, it's sort of we've spoken to a handful of amateurs in our studio here uh, in previous episodes who we, we're trying to get them pro ready when they take their first big step. Well, there's never been a player more ready to be a pro than Matthew Wolf, even though it's only his fourth crack at it as a pro or third third start on the PGA Tour. His bloke's been living the life for the last at least two, maybe three years. I have to say, though, just like that's not normal. Uh, of all of the schools. No, of course it's it, not. Like I think when I was at, when I was over there, Oklahoma State women's team was actually the only one that ever remotely even got to go on a private jet. And it was because one of the girls' parents had the private jet. All so right. it's, it's not like, you know, it's it's just, it's almost exactly the same as tour life, though. Mm. You have your travel days with your team, you wear your uniform, then you go, you have your practice round, and then you go into the thing. So for, for the most part, everyone is actually doing it like a pro. like you're going yeah. to at the start of your career yeah, rather right. than as an established player. But, yeah, but I mean, Victor Victor Hovland was – he was at 
OSU mm. as well. He's just turned pro. Hunter Mahan, another. Um, who else? Uh, yeah, Ricky, we mentioned. Charles Howe III, he went there. Jeez. So it's it's a decent yeah. decent program. I'd have to say it's kind I, of, it's similar to, I'd, I'd say UCLA, USC, Duke in the women's. Okay. Um, of kind of powerhouses putting putting golfers out on tour. It's an incredible preparation. Yeah, it really is. The third member of the thrilling finish has been com- going to be com- Colin Morikawa. He's going to be complete, and he's going to be completely overlooked in the. Um, hang on, hang on. <laughs> breaking news. Can you have breaking <laughs> on news stat, on that stat battle? Oh uh, no, no, it's not about. Oh, the stat I thought that battle. must have been what it was. No, no, no. Um, but I have found that that one of the, <laughs> one of the OSU um, graduates on the Champions Tour is actually called Mark Hayes. So that's why. Oh, there, you go. But, there we go. But I bet you it's got two know. Ks in the in the mark. Uh, this is this is the bloke who won the players' championship at Sawgrass in the mid seventies, Andy. Of course, I remember him. Yeah. Or you know, might have been a slightly better golfer than his name's so sake. This is when we need not that you two aren't wonderful, and clearly I'm not. But this one you need uh, Clayton because he'll have some obscure, <laughs> obscure story about Mark Hayes. That's oh yeah, true. Mark Hayes. He was out here and he did that and he did yeah, you know, some right. bizarre story. Something. So, did you want to re- do you want to read this out? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't checked the facts, so I don't know if it's right. It's just what that bloke said on Twitter. Oh, okay. So I can't really, you know. Kyle Porter. Do we? I think he stuff's worked pretty, for CBS. Yeah, he's yeah. just stuff's pretty strong. Uh, Wolf wins at his fourth start. Tiger Arori eighteen. Tiger nineteenth. Brooks twenty second. Speed twenty fourth. DJ twenty eighth. Bryson fortieth. Justin Thomas, 43rd. But that also doesn't say what tour it's on necessarily. That is so a very it could good be. point. It's it's, very I'm good just point. saying, I'm not selling Hazy out at all. I'm just making sure that between I won't, the I won't t- give away my dodgy source. <laughs> between the pair of us. But I, I do want to say, like going back to his swing, now there's something that this is going to sound bizarre and I'm going to wear it. Um, <laughs> I started fishing over summer a couple of years back and found Actually that I couldn't. Fishing. Yeah, like proper fishing, like yeah. beach fishing. Yeah. And really? I found that, yeah, it's random. Um, and I found that I couldn't get it out far enough to get it into the gullies. Right, okay, wasn't yeah. strong enough. Genuinely yeah. wasn't strong enough. So I went online and I looked at some videos and found this manoeuvre for power casting, right? And what you actually do is you start with the weight in front of you and then you swing it around yourself almost identical to Matt Wolf's swing. Really? Right? Now we're going. So you could uh, – and I, it was just a thought and I had a look at a couple of videos this morning and there are parallels to be drawn here. Between power casting. Yep, in yep. fishing. Because you can throw it out hundreds of yards with a heavy sinker. Like some people are incredible casters. Like you can belt it out there. I'm not one of them. It failed. I nearly killed six six people on the beach. But there were comparisons to be drawn, which I just found kind of super random. You, you are a woman of endless surprises, Ali Whitaker. I'm, I'm very bad at a lot of things. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something, though, if you found out that the wolf clan – the wolf pack, his actual family, not those who follow him around, uh, were coastal of origin and were great <laughs> surf fishermen. Should we do some sort of genealogical studies? Someone's going to come. Someone's going to send us an email and say, "Well, as a matter of fact, they grew up on the shoreline of the North Carolinas, and uh, his old man won four national <laughs> surf fishing championships, and young Matthew was often seen as a young tacker out fishing with his father. So, I see that it's unlikely. So when they, moved, when they moved to Oklahoma, there was no fishing outlet because no beach. And Correct. Oh, yeah. There you go. Who think, knows? I think you're both onto something. Colin Maybe. Morikawa. Yeah. Can I just put his name? Just If you're going to put a little black book, this kid looks every inch a quality player. 
Like he he was unlucky. <laughs> he made his putt on seventeen. Yeah, was attract. Tra- it did everything but go in the hole. How it didn't from go in twenty five foot. Oh god. So and he makes oh. birdie on eighteen to tie. DeChambeau, but unfortunately, the bloke he's playing with went one better. Now, there's Andy, we've we've um, got a lot of feedback um, on our uh, Roger Bannister file over the time, and we you know we've had Bryson DeChambeau front and center. Oh, this is oh yeah. Um, I'm not. I might try if there's an awkward break in this podcast when you're listening back. I will try and like have a little pause here, and maybe if it worked, you would have just heard it. If you didn't, um, audio from Bryson DeChambeau sooking. About slow play. Can you believe this? Bryson DeChambeau sooking about slow play. I mean, I'm I'm speechless. Who was I in am front of without you? speech. Who, you'd love to know who, because if that bloke well, go back and look <laughs> no, that up. No, no, you know the bloke, whoever he's talking about, is dead. Because <laughs> because if he is accusing someone of being slow, mm. that person is not alive. Um, I actually think that might be true. If they we should check obituaries. This is getting really weird. Fishing yeah, obituaries. This is taking a real but, dark turn. turn uh, Bryson, turn it up. <laughs> yes, Seriously, go, turn right, it up. Yes, yes. That's I mean, the fish complaining that the water's wet, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's uh, that's just one of the. That's just suck it up, pal. That's Australian that's ridiculous. Did we? We didn't do. We, there's no great flow. Oh, from that like, tournament, yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't great to be honest with right. you. Rod Pampling was the best. Um, finished in tie for fifty sixth. The disappointment there was. Um, Curtis Luck, unfortunately, because he yeah, finished he tied for 58, mm. but he was right there at halfway. Mm. So he's he's um, left his FedEx Cup standing sort of, I think it didn't change at 160th. So he, well, he um, snapped a three-cut streak or three-missed-cut streak. Uh, he just didn't cash in. And I bet you when we speak to him in a couple of weeks' time that he'll be headless about that because, you know, he, he was right there in the running mm. halfway. Mm. Seems to be doing a lot of good stuff, though, in Very his game much. this yep. year in particular. You know, remember watching him kind of battle it out with Phil earlier in the mm. season, which is yeah. uh, which is great. But, uh, yeah. Over the pond, is there a better three weeks in golf than Ireland-Scotland, the Open Championship? No, at any time, no. and doubly so when it's Le Hinch and the Royal Portrush. Oh, no, my family's, that's my family. They're from, we're from County Clare, Le Hinch. That's right. where the Mar- the Mars, the Murphys, and some Fitzpatricks come. Some of them are a bit further south, but most of the Mars and the Murphys come from um, around the Lynch area. That's that should actually be my home golf course. I've surfed at Lynch. Huh. Yeah, went out there in the brown Atlantic Ocean once upon a time many years ago and had a surf out there. I'm learning, what a part of the world! I'm that learning is. so much about you two today. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful. Have you been to Lynch? No. Have you been there, Al? Mm-mm. Oh, it's no. a glorious, beautiful, magnificent part of the world. Mm. Oh, there's this. I can't remember this pub on the top of the hill, up from where the surf. Is broke. it called the Hill Pub? I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Isn't that but, what they do? Oh they my do. god, the brown bread. <laughs> top the, of the hill. Big heavy yeah. brown bread and the potato soup. Oh, and it was cold. Winter's Day. Oh, Jeez, you're talking my language. Talking oh, superfoods yeah. right oh, there. Oh, no. It yeah. was, uh, the, you know, the Irish breads. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like soda God. bread. It's, it's like exactly. yeah, it's super dense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. This is delicious. This is porn to me. Thick cut. Oh, no. It's, it's better than anything you're going to get in that sphere, I can assure you, Hazy. These things you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, so I, I've got a mate who I play with, Dave. You, you, we played the longest oh, yeah, day with. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Dave reckons this is his um, three dream weeks. Like oh. he, he thinks Lynch is arguably his favourite course in the world. Definitely yep. in the top three most fun. Um, Port Rush is something special, and and this week in Scotland, even though I thought it was at North Berwick, uh, the Renaissance course, Club, the Renaissance Club. So that's you know it doesn't get any better than that, and it makes it really really hard to watch the dartboard American stuff. 
It does, you know, and and I think the I the thing I love the most is the quaintness, you know, of of golf over there. And I, you know, I kind of been talking to a lot of people about the Solheim Cup, and they're they're holding it on the what is it, the centenary course, the PGA, and the Junior Solheim Cup is actually being played on a composite course of the Kings and Queens at Glen Eagles, oh, right. and that's what I wanted. Like yeah. I wanted that. I want I want them to be hitting over a hill that's got a pole on it because you don't know where the green mm, is. Mm. Like that to me is the golf that's been played there for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, I don't know. But that, that little stretch between Edinburgh and North Berwick, gosh, there's some golf courses along there. I've got to do this. before. Yeah. I've got to do it before I can't walk. I've got to get over there and do this. How many times do you say that to yourself? I've got to get over there and spend two months and just, just play golf. Live it. Just play golf. Just yeah. go over and do it. So – Johnny, does, where does Ram sit routinely in our favourite golfers to watch and to listen to and to just have sort of in the mix? Well, is he it, loved, I think is it he depends who you ask because I understand, Andy, on, on two of these, not the most popular player. Because of, I hear these stories, but I, I love it when Ram's sort of in the mix somewhere. I, I, I think he brings an energy to a golf tournament that's fantastic. When he was down at Kingston Heath um, two World Cups ago, uh, I went out, he was practicing hard in the driving rain and I went out and watched him because I thought if he could, I should. And uh, I went out and watched him hit balls in the bunkers and he was chatty. He was very approachable. He was just a really decent human. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm I'm in, I'm on Team Ram right now and I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from that. And I like people who aren't, you know, regimented mm. soldiers on course. I don't really care if he loses it and yells at his caddy and has a heated discussion. That's an athlete wanting to be their best to me. Well, just another thing to kind of throw in the mix. He, he's been incredibly supportive of the Lyle family um, since Jared's passing as well. And I, I know that, um, that you know, Bryony and the kids are, are uh, pretty pretty grateful to for that support and coming from um, he and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just another, that's another thing that's always going to get get the Aussies behind because, you know, you, anyone that can recognise the kind of bloke that Jared was to me is, yeah. is um, that's a good place to yeah. start. Yeah. Did you see that little boy run up and tell him he came all the way from Australia to, do you see that, Andy? No. The European tour, which their social media is without peer, um, tracked it down and, and filmed it. Um, there was a little boy who literally said he's the biggest John Rahm fan in the world and I've come from Australia to watch it and Rahm went and found him and posed for a picture and signed things, and it was beautiful. It's on European Tour Media. Right. Yeah, yeah it's great. Jeez, I, I, I like him. And the way he played golf on Sunday there was just next level. Six yeah. threes in a row at one stage, had a bogey and a couple of fours, and then closed with another three threes on his round. I, I, it was awesome to watch for about two hours. He was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I think he's compelling, like, and he's big. He's a big personality, and maybe that ruffles a few feathers. It is... He's not as mindful of other people's spaces, other some others more genteel players are or whatever. But uh, I, I think he's he's an asset that the game needs. John yeah. Rahm. Well, he's, the... he's a winner mm. yep. to me. So I, I had to go to a well, didn't have to. Um, I went to a, an MND um, fundraiser on Sunday and didn't get to watch the finish. And at one point in time, so when I checked because it was a, a movie that we were going to, um, I went online, checked before and saw that John was starting to climb and I went, uh-oh. Mm. In my head, I actually had that. You know how there's some players where you see them on the leaderboard and you go, oh, hang on, he's having a good day, you're mm. in trouble. Mm. And I think at that point he was five or six under for the round. And he's one of those guys for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, feel like totally know There's certain names where you go, yep, he's – Rolling now. He's rolling. 
I'm going to have to do something. Yep. And then a lot of the people around them crumble because they see the name go up the leaderboard and they go, oh, wait, there's a shark in the waters now. <laughs> yeah. I reckon his countrymen did exactly what you just suggested, Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, who, who seemingly had the field at at arm's length for the longest time with no real big names, Sullivan, Rock, uh, those sort of players coming at him. who don't hold that fear, but when Ram just rolled, rolled a couple in, yeah, the, the tournament changed complexion in a heartbeat. It was great. It, just, just having, I've just caught up his, um, you know, most recent kind of run of performances. So, um, wins in Ireland, and this is in descending order from in performance since then. Tied two, tied three, miscut, miscut. Tied nine, tied twenty-four, tied six, tied twelve, tied forty-five, tied nine, tied ten, tied five, six, tied eight, one, tied four. This bloke, when he tees it up. Gives you a run for your money. He more often than not, he bobs up. Yeah, um, no, I like him. He's no, he's good to watch. And uh, Wade Ormsby just uh, yeah, ticking was, off the Aussies yeah. there. I mean, there were a handful there, but Wade Ormsby did really well again. Finished with an eagle for a sixty-nine. Um, so that sort of put a bit of a gloss on the last round that otherwise might not have been there. But Lucas Herbert's last round was something to get excited about. It was too. too. Yeah. Just yeah. finding his feet again, yeah. too, Herbie. So yeah. Uh, yeah, some big things to look out for. Uh, LPGA. Plenty of good stuff there. Not from last Australia. Australians were not many in number and not great in performance, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> no, sadly no. not. But um, yeah, we've got what an exciting that that week. It's a birdie fest. Like mm. uh, yep. you, you know, it's a Thornbury Creek LPGA Classic. I think we said at the end of last week's show that just wait, wait for the records to drop mm. because it's just that kind of week. There was a sixty-one on the final day from um, Paddy Tavatanikit, who's um, a new pro and two pro that uh, Paddy Tavatanikit. Yeah, um, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, she's in her, I think, less than five starts as a pro and throughout a sixty-one. But then you've got so you've got Area Jitanaga mm. and you've got Shan Shan Fung who hasn't worked this, um, who hasn't won this year, I should say. But she is, if if you're going to have a model golfer of someone that you want to be at the top of their game for your country. Shan Shan and the way that she presents, like the way that she acts for me is number one. That's great. She is every bit as easygoing as she looks on TV. So, you know, some people, they ham it up for the cameras. She is aloof. She is completely indifferent. She'll admit to you that, you know, what did you do before your 3pm tea time? Well, I got up, had breakfast, went back for a nap, got up, you know, got (laughs) up, did some stuff, went back for a nap. Like she took her own pillow in to the final round in Malaysia two years ago because she knew that there was going to be rain delay. She took a pillow so that she could nap in the clubhouse and did it in the middle of the players' lounge. Like she was – people were taking selfies with her. Like it was – she is totally herself and I just think she's a total asset. And she goes to the Olympics, she says. She wins bronze at the Olympics. She calls it her rose gold medal because she thinks <laughs> thought that everyone was a winner that way. Yeah, great. But like <laughs> – <laughs> Walked around at the Olympics smiling because she wanted people to play golf. Like, yeah, it is so, mm. so easy to get behind her. Mm. And um, she 20, birdied, birdied the last. Under all yeah, 29 under. Second best uh, final score in LPGA history, I think it was as well. Under. 29 under is crazy stuff. And, and you know, a tough finish on that course. It's not an easy finish. There's a lot of gettable stuff, but mm. the, the finish you, wasn't a cake. What if you're area and you have 28 under and you don't get the check? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. She gets a check, oh, just a not check, the check. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yeah. Uh, Before one, we roll yeah, on from the women's game, Andy, because yep. I, I don't want to just leave this down in the in the general business later, there's an announcement. We're recording this on Tuesday. There was an announcement overnight. Um, I'm sure Ali can add a bit of fuel to it, but the Women's British Open has gone from 3.25 million last year 
um, sponsored by AIG this year and gone up to 4.5 million US dollars. So huge prize money jump in percentage terms. Now the number two tournament in the world in by money behind the US Women's Open. Um, look, 99.99% massive kudos to the RNA. Just great. We're on the way. We're going to start. Martin Slumbers spoke about the need to make it um, parody with the men's event. Sadly, it's just about $6 million shy, <laughs> shy at the minute. Um, he said it's a mission. It's an ongoing mission. It's a business case and all this stuff. So we get all that, but I'd love to hear someone just grab it by the pills and, and make it even. Let's just do something. I just, I feel like, you know what, and I'm I'm all for that, 100%, but it's a 40% rise. I don't, you yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. You oh, do yeah. that each week, each God, year, absolutely. and we're going to get there. I yep. just, I, I think, you know, tripling the prize fund, and they've done this less than six weeks before the event as well. Yeah. It, it's, they could have done it after it for the next year, but they didn't. They've gone no, and done I, it before this year. And I know that you're a con- yeah, totally on board. I am. Um, the thing that I liked about Martin Summers, apart from the fact that I really like the people that he hires, everyone that I've mentioned that he likes on tour, I've really gotten along with from the RNA. So that's a, that's a big check mark for yeah. me. Um, I haven't met him myself, but um, the thing I liked out of that press conference is, was actually the way that he phrased it. And he said, this is an important first step. Great. He could he could have gone in super hard and said this is what we're doing and been yep. and gone a hundred percent on yep. it because it is a it's a massive deal. But he said it's an important first step, which I really liked. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't hear that. So never that's... never let better get in the way of perfect. You know what I mean? So on the way to getting to perfect, let's just get better. Yeah. And it's a massive step. And when you overlay that, um, you know, against the backdrop of what the you know U.S. women's team has fought so hard for uh, in the women's World Cup football. And the stress point that that is clearly generating, you know, in terms of, you know, gender equity and equal pay and all of that, um, you know, it's just a, it's the work that GA is doing in this space. And um, you hear, you know, the RNA announcing that it's not perfect. We're not perfect yet, but it's it's a, a step in the right. You just want to make sure that roadblocks are getting taken out of the way. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there, you know. Question without notice to both of you. What do you think would happen? Let's just say that so the men's pool is uh, $10.5 million. I like what you're about to ask you. And the women's is $4.5 million. What do you think if they just whacked them together and made it $15 million and said, All right, you're playing for 7 and a half each? What what? I mean, the women would rejoice and the world would rejoice. What do you reckon the men's players, the top end of town would say, and their managers? You know what? I think that there's – I would go if – I, if I was a bloke and I wasn't happy about it, I'd look at – Ratings. I'd look at TV ratings. I'd look at reach. I'd look at, you know, I feel like the women's soccer teams is quite an interesting, um, for the US, it's quite an interesting thing because they actually, in theory, have more eyes on the screen. That's my understanding. The they, ratings are The gigantic. ratings are better. Yeah. They bring more people into the stadium. The Nike shirt. The exactly. Nike shirt's the highest selling piece of sporting apparel football that Nike's ever generated. And it was, I think it was one of the most... I think it was one of the highest watched sporting yeah. events of the year, full stop, d- d- regardless of gender. And I know I'm not I'm kind of not really answering your question, but that's – I think that that is still a factor in golf. And, I, and I'm trying to be – Oh, no, look, there's no doubt that more you know, people will PC watch the Men's it. British Open than the Women's British Open. Oh, there's, there's no getting around that. Mm. I'm just interested in, in the, you know, the argument. Is someone – I don't even want to name a name because I'm not saying anyone in the Men's Tour is – overtly sexist enough to even take down, you know, if they boycott it, 
the world would come down on them like oh, a ton of. Would... I'm guarantee you it would be thought of and discussed, Andy. That's a disgrace. We've come down three million dollars. Could we, you know, could we boycott? Should we boycott? And the answer is, we bring more to the table financially, so we should be d- rewarded more financially. Well, that's got to change. I mean, a great example to to kind of bring it back closer to home. I w- I was kind of surprised that there weren't maybe one or two big names that really got behind the Vic Open from overseas that went, all right, this is an opportunity for me here to actually. To make a point. To make a point, yeah. yeah. And so until things like opportunities like that are happening, if you're taking, you know, what is it, two and a half million out of their prize fund minimum, then I think maybe we're just not quite there yet. Fair enough. I'm naive enough to think that for a major championship, one story like the Open, that if it was 250 bucks for the winner – They'd still tee up, turn up, and play for it because oh, the idealist Andy. You know Mar. what I mean? I no, mean, we're with you though. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page that we'd love that. Gee whiz! I mean, these blokes are—they're all millionaires. They're all—they're millionaires. Oh, they down could play to, for free know, for the course, rest of their lives, of and they'd still be loaded. So I would—you'd love to see it happen. Your proposition. And you'd love to hear the first American, because it would be an American. You'd love to hear the first American <laughs> kick up and say, "Well, this is a disgrace." You'd love to hear it. And then you'd like to see the world cl- – because – Would anyone a, be silly enough to uh, do that? Someone would yeah. be. Yeah. Someone would be stupid yeah. enough to put their own self-interest ahead of the right thing. Yeah, someone would. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, Wan Jun Lee is going to – Can't wait us. to talk yeah, to him. The mystery man of Australian golf. We've got him. Uh, he's going to join us on the other side of this on Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we've been talking about Wan Jun Lee on this program, <laughs> you, or you have in particular, for I, have. I reckon the better part of the last two months. Oh, I'm going to say 18 months because every time he's bobbed up, I say we need to get him because he's the mystery man of Australian golf. Well, the timing couldn't be better. Uh, the bloke who was runner-up behind Craig Parry in the Australian Open in 2007, at that stage of his life as a golfer being earmarked for all sorts of greatness, uh, wins a fortnight ago the Korean PGA Championship uh, in an outstanding run of form, like a really, really good stretch of form. And Wan Jun Lee, uh, this mystery man of Australian golf that you describe him as, Hazy, has been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Wan, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, after, you know, all, I'm going to say all these years, because you're still relatively young uh, in reality, but after all these years out there, you know, playing the game and, you know, striving to find your best to... Get that first professional victory um, off your back a, a fortnight ago in Korea. How significant for you was that? Uh, well, look, it's, um, I think it's my 13th year as a pro, and it feels a lot longer than that, and I, feel, I, I definitely feel a lot older than I actually am. <laughs> but um, no, no thir- 13 years of uh, a big weight, it kind of feels like a big weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And um, I know I've still got a long way to go, but I'm actually really happy about the outcome. We'll talk about the good things about that in a minute, Juan, but uh, it must be 
a, a real noose around your neck, for want of a better want of a better phrase, when you have the entire world saying to you, "You're the next Tiger Woods, you're a superstar, you're the world number one amateur." It's just a matter of time. It's, does that really weigh down on you after a little while? Uh, well, at first, I think my first couple of years playing, I never it really didn't phase me, and um, I never thought about it. But as my career got along and I was struggling to get where I was trying to go, it became a little heavier and heavier and heavier. And um, as I look back at it now, because that was over 10 years ago, it actually did probably put a lot of pressure on me um, without me knowing. So we're speaking to you from Korea today. Um, How have you managed to sort of, I guess, keep the walls from the door until until your your form's turned around here? how do you how do you manage without a victory of any note to uh, you know keep things ticking along professionally? Um, well, a lot of my contemporaries, as um, during my amateur stint, are uh, doing well on the PGA Tour. It always keeps me motivated to work hard. Um, I went through my own spell of whether I wanted to play or not um, injuries, and um, I have good people around me uh, in Japan that I travel with that. We all try to motivate each other to play better and try to see if we can win on the Japanese tour, which is hasn't come yet. But um, no, just just I have I have a lot of good people around me, friends, other golfers, and so forth. When for a little while, I think you were based over in in Las Vegas when you were playing kind of yep. over on um, what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, which is a sore point with Andy. Yes. I'm, I, I'm daring myself to even bring it up, but. In terms of you know looking at, at where where you were going to play because you've you've kind of shuffled around on on quite a few tours, how how was that process yep. for you? Because obviously you know you went over to the US and wanted to play there and work your way up to the PGA Tour, but at some point in time there's been a, a bit of a a fork in the road, and you've you've gone towards Asia. How was that decision? Um, well, I, I went for a coaching reason um, to Las Vegas, and I when I played on what, what was the Nationwide Tour and Web.com Tour, um, as time progressed and I got hurt and I kind of didn't decide 100% in my mind whether golf was still going to be my future, I actually thought after about five, nearly five years of playing there, I decided the best move for me would be to move back to Sydney for a couple of years even because uh, I wasn't going to be able to play and see if I could regroup and um, focus on being able to play again and actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise. So what what did, what did you learn there in Sydney? Like if you were close to throwing it away on the verge of that, what, what turned it around for you back in Sydney? Well, I didn't, I didn't play for close to two years when I was in Sydney, but just playing club golf again I, I actually I wasn't enjoying playing on the secondary tour in America um, just through the struggles of not being able to get to the PJ tour and um, just playing with members it was just simple I'd, um, when I was both members of Ashla and Concord Golf Club um, I just went and played with members here and there and um, enjoyed playing golf again it, it was just there was no reason to uh, dislike playing because professionally it sometimes is a battle as a lot of people know but just playing at a club level having uh, in the Wednesday Saturday comps is actually really enjoyable which I enjoyed for a couple of years I reckon you've made a lot of people in Sydney really happy with the last 20 seconds there 
that's that's yeah, music absolutely. to a lot of people's ears. <laughs> absolutely, it is. So, what what was wrong with you? What was the what were the physical ailments that were holding you back? Um, well, uh, I have a wrist problem, which um, the doctor explained to me was my ulnar bone is a little longer than I guess I forgot the other what the other bone's called. But, Ra- radius um, or radial radius? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, naturally, it's a little longer, so oh, it Dr. doesn't Woody move. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't move the, the bones in my wrist joint properly, and I was getting nerve pain from there. So that compiled with not being able to hit the golf course with my driver wasn't helping, and um, it just in America it just stopped me wanting to play. Uh, it didn't. I, I actually watching other golfers um, succeed wasn't helping either. I think, um, and I actually really didn't enjoy playing and living outside of away from family and outside of Sydney. And so I moving back to Oz was one of the best things I did, I think. So what sort of did, did was there an operation required or was it just a bit of remedial work and a bit of time for it to kind of fix itself? How did how did you get that right? Well the do- the doctor who suggested surgery um kind of explained it to me and I was actually kind of afraid cuz he said that First, we'd have to break your wrist, then oh. cut away the bone, then plate it back up, and that would probably be a year. And I actually wasn't going for that because he said he wasn't going to guarantee that I'd be able to play golf still. Mm. And um, I did a little more physio work to try to keep the tendons and muscles around the area loose. And one day, I, uh, a friend said, hey, let's go bowling. And I went bowling, wrist didn't really hurt, and... He actually is a golf fanatic, and we said, we're going to go play golf uh, next week. So I went and played, and I actually played pretty good for not playing for like 18 months. You just made Dr. Whitaker cringe then, Juan. <laughs> I've actually... I've never, yeah, it's uh, like... I've, I was going to say, I've never heard of this before. Uh, I've never heard... Like, I've heard of a lot of injuries in golf, but I've never heard of of two bones being different lengths. It seems like quite a yeah, quite an obscure yeah. injury. Well, I, mean, I guess it's not yeah, really an injury. It wasn't is an it? injury. It was yeah. just, yeah, it's a de- more of a defect. But um, no, the way he explained to me, it, was, it wasn't quite inviting. So I decided to go the other route. Yeah, fair, fair yeah. enough. I don't think we can blame you for that. Where, where are you based now, Juan? Are you, do you have a, a home or I an actually, apartment I in Korea? Actually, where are you? Yeah, I, do, I live maybe about 20 minutes from the airport and about 20 minutes from where they had the President's Cup here a few years ago. Mm. Um. They also hold a, a men's Asian tour, Korean tour, Japan tour, tri-sanction event at the golf course I practice at, which is um, uh, called, it's an area called Chongla. Uh, not many people would have heard of it, but it's an Incheon area. And so it's just good travel for me to get to the airport, get to where I need to go to Japan and then come back quickly. So just looking at your recent form line in the lead up to and then you know the week after you you win in Korea your form's been really strong um you haven't missed a cut since i think november last year what what's working for you one what, what what do you put that that run of you know good form down to well i i actually went back to i usually i try to go back to sydney every summer for a couple of months uh just to practice and i went back uh late December last year until about early uh, March, I left straight after New Zealand Open, and I have a childhood friend that I used to grow up playing 
hopefully that Concord Golf Club, and he was helping me a lot, uh, a lot out on the golf course and my golf swing, um, just trying to be able to find fairways more consistent, greens more consistent. Um, and that's actually helped me out a lot this year. I've kept the ball in play a lot more than uh, in the past, opposed to hitting it perfect. And um, just not making two huge mistakes has been uh, really big this year. It's just uh, I look back at it, and it, it doesn't feel like I've played great. Um, there have been a few tournaments where I would have liked to have played a little better in the fourth round, but, I mean, you can't want everything in the world. But, um, <laughs> no, overall, it hasn't felt like I've, I've, I've played a lot better than last year, but results have been a lot better, which is um, really good. Who's your mate? What's, he, what's the mate's name, the oh, childhood friend? Uh, Matt, Matt Thomas. Yeah. Matt he... Thomas, he's, uh, he's actually a left-hander. Um, we won't so hold that against help him. Me out. If, he, yeah. <laughs> if, he, if he knows how to help people find fairways and greens, uh, he should create his own website and he will never, within a couple of years, he'll never have to work again. Yeah, no, he's, um, he's actually quite a good golfer himself. He, um, I've always envied how he plays and how he swings a golf club. It's, um, I'd, I'd actually like to give him my putt. So he'd probably be a really good golfer himself. Where is he at Concord, mate? He is. We we remember you. I assume you still play the same way. I haven't seen you in person for a while now. As a massive hitter of the ball, as through your injury and and time, are you still giving it a good knock out there? Um, yeah, there are a few guys that actually do hit it past me now. Um, <laughs> I, I don't hit driver as far as I used to, but um, no, everything else is similar. I still hit a little wayward and um, try to manage the scramble for pars. And, uh, I'm trying to fix that aspect because I had um, 18 months ago, I think 2017 season, I had back problem and I had a ruptured disc, so I had to get a procedure done on my back at the end of 2017, and that's actually kind of helped me back from being able to hit it as hard as I want uh, lately. So uh, otherwise, everything's good. That's worked out for Tiger. You might be all right. Yeah. <laughs> now I wanted to ask you about that because uh, not your back, the, the spraying it because. After countless times of being in contention through your pro career, when it came down to the crunch on the Sunday at the Korean PGA Championship a couple of weekends ago, you sort of had it in the palm of your hands when you teed off on Sunday and it came to the 71st hole. I think you, Correct me if I'm wrong, mate, but I think you made a bogey and all of a sudden it was square. Yep. And you've, you might want to walk us through the next five minutes of your life because I understand your drive came perilously close to being a complete disaster. Yeah, um, it's about a uh, 200 to 300 meter walk to the next 18th tee. I just kept telling myself, um, you know, it's no easy task. He still needs to make birdie to win it outright. Um, just don't try to do anything silly. Just play how you've been playing all week. And then he teed off first and hit driver and there's hazards left and right. And he hit it left and it hit the gallery's umbrella and came back in. So oh. I saw that in my mind. And um, I thought, oh, I don't want to go left because I hit it left once and was safe, luckily. But I tried to start it left and hit a fade. And I came out of it really quick, feeling like it was going to go left. And it actually half the ball was in the hazard, in the water. So I had to play out of the water for my second shot. And um, I still thought, par's okay, par's okay. And I ended up making a really good par, which... Um, Looking at back at it now, I, I don't know how I did. So your drive was partially submerged? It was half in the water, yeah. Uh, 
pants. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't wearing white pants. <laughs> no, I, I was. I got, I got dusted everywhere. Oh. Uh, I was wearing a black-coloured shirt and white pants, so it wasn't good. So you shot I – mean, I'm interested. I mean, so you, your gut's out that 71 and, and you get it done on the final day. But you shoot 62 in the yep. first round of that tournament. I, I'm, I'm going to imagine that's your low round as a pro. Um, if there's a better one, tell me. But wh- wh- how, did, how did that feel? Like shooting 62 to get the ball rolling in that tournament. Um, how, how did just getting it around the course that day, how did that feel? Uh, it was actually a really weird week. We got um, washed out with weather on Wednesday, so no one really got to practice. Um, and I actually went down to the tournament with my wife and we were just going to enjoy going down to Busan for the first time. And I, I went out with no expectations. Um, just wanted to have a good week uh, playing that event for the first time. And I actually played a lot better than my score suggests. Um, I know eight under is a really good score, but I missed a lot of makeable putts from short distance that whole week. So it, it was weird. Um, the second round was the same. It was weird. I, I just felt calm and good about the week. I'd, I usually get, I would have got nervous usually third or fourth, fourth round um, in the past and just throughout the whole week I just felt like um, not not so much it was my week or my time but it was just relaxing to play for some reason. I, I can't explain it so it was different. And I actually have a really good story for um, for that. Leading up to the tournament, I my mum, she loves keeping old um old mementos and awards and stuff and we have a trophy cabinet at home with all my amateur accolades and there's no space on it whatsoever <laughs> and I, I told her I told her two weeks prior look there's no space on the new trophies to go in we need to get rid of some stuff and she said no you got to keep all memories and so without telling my mum she she'd worked on that for a long time and I actually, just a few days before I went down to the tournament, I threw 90% of it out just in the trash. I didn't want to see it again, I thought. And, yeah, so it was weird. Um, No, we were talking about it two weeks prior, and I actually did it. And people were, my wife was telling me not to throw this away, not to throw that away. And I just ended up saying, look, I just want to start from scratch. And I threw everything away. And it worked out weird. That's great. That is awesome. What did your mum say? Uh, she she likes the notion of the win. She doesn't like how much effort that I've thrown away that she's put into. <laughs> so, one, you know, do you kind of still feel like this, despite the fact that you've had the wrist, you know, identified and the back and 13 years later, do you still feel like the same player? Do you still feel like you can, you know, do the things that you could do, you know, all those years ago? Uh, Golfing-wise, I actually feel like I'm a better player than an amateur. Uh, my amateur career was. It's just um, I haven't been able to say, I don't think more than one or two times throughout my whole professional career, I've played a good four rounds. Like I've had good results, but I've never felt like I've put good four rounds together. Where playing as an amateur, you don't really need to play four solid rounds to succeed um, in golf tournaments. If you can play one okay round, three really good rounds, you're usually somewhere up top. But as a professional, if you have one mediocre round somewhere in your four rounds, that's the big difference between being able to win and finishing, say, top five, top ten. And I think that's where it's hurt me a lot, where throughout my career, I've I've never felt like um, even 
two weeks ago when I did win. My last round didn't go exactly how I planned, but I, I almost created enough buffer space where I was fortunate enough. It only took one guy to have a really good round on Sunday for it all to fall apart. So I feel uh, really lucky in that sense. Well, what does so you've won in Korea? You usually, I mean, you've predominantly been playing in Japan with a couple of events in Korea as a, as a general rule the last couple of years. What does this win get you now? Like, how do we keep on top of your results going forward? Should we expect to see more in Korea? Like, what kind of exemptions do you get? Um, I'll probably still be focused in playing Japan a lot more. Um, uh, I get to play in the CJ Cup this year, uh, which is a PGA Tour event in Korea. Um, uh, so nothing really much changes. I, I might play one or two more event, events in Korea per year, but the scheduling doesn't work out so friendly where you can play both tours uh, evenly. So that CJ event, that's down at Jeju, right? Is that, I would imagine that if you did something special that week that you would reconsider exactly what you just told Ali. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think most of my focus this next six weeks we're actually on break we don't have any events uh during our summertime and um i think i'm going to try to focus my practice more on for that tournament uh see if i can go down during the next couple of weeks to see if i can get a couple of practice rounds in early uh see what the golf course is like and i mean we uh after the jeju event um there's a tournament in japan which is also a pga tour event uh the category for that to get in is a little different from Korea, so I mean, if I can get into both, that would be great, but uh, so far I'll just try to focus on playing well at one. In terms of, uh, I've got a kind of question, because I know the, the women's side very closely in terms of um, lifestyle on the Korean and, and Japanese tours for the ladies. Do you get, they, they say that they kind of, they go out there and they, they play Thursday to Sunday or sometimes Friday to Sunday, and then they go back and have almost have like a weekend on the Monday and Tuesday sometimes. Do you find that you get a, a better life balance? Because a lot of the guys we speak to in Japan are coming back to Australia still, whereas you've kind of, you know, you've got a, a base over just outside of Seoul now. So do you finding that the, the life balance is a little bit easier? Just from a proximity uh, kind of thing? Um, yeah, yeah I, I was never fond of travelling. Um, I found that out really quick when I turned pro, that I actually enjoyed being home more than away. So... I'll usually go to events on Monday, and the travel is easy in Japan because we only catch trains most of the time. And then if we have a stint where we play for four or six weeks and I'm just not feeling well and or playing well after a couple of weeks, I might go home on Sunday night and come back on Tuesday. So it, it does make life a little easier. I know guys traveling from Oz, it's a little longer flight, but being in the same time zone I think really helps because most of the guys have families and um, it's easier to catch up with the kids, um, so forth, as opposed to having different time zones and not being able to speak to their kids for a few weeks or something like that. Well, I've got to ask you a slightly controversial question here. Now, there's always been the uh, suspicion, shall we say, that the Korean fans are very parochially motivated in terms of Ooh. keeping some of their compatriots' balls in play as they sort of drive a little bit to the sides of the fairways. Do you... If, yeah, is that true? And and you mentioned before the guy you were competing against have his ball bounce off an umbrella into the fairway. Did it bounce off an umbrella, or did it <laughs> bounce off an umbrella? And the second part of the question is, do you get the same privilege with your background, or do they see you as Australian? 
Um, the first part, uh, there was just so much gallery on the left side that um, I don't think someone intentionally uh, kicked it back into play. Um, it, in the past, yes, there are uh, for both men's, a uh, little less for men's tournaments, but for women's tournaments, they have their uh, big each player has their own following. It's not uh, at the player's request, but they'll have big band clubs of a certain player and then they'll they'll rent a bus out for all the galleries who support one player to go out and watch a tournament and they'll kind of... There's a lot of fighting. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but there are some fights that happen in the galleries because of my player beat your player or uh, so forth. Um <laughs> Not, without the player knowing, or, the, or even the family members, it's just it just happens from too much support, I guess. And um, oh, I actually forgot the second part of it. Oh, my treatment, uh, it, it's different. Um, I they do embrace me to a certain extent. I think um, uh, I, I am still considered Australian. I get introduced as an Australian player, and. Um, no, but the support for me a couple of weeks ago was actually really overwhelming. I didn't expect it. I actually expected um, the gallery to follow all the other players. So it, I don't get to play in Korea much, but it was a good experience. And um, actually, it, it was enjoyable to play. I, I wasn't expecting that much support on Sunday. Well, we're very, very happy to have uh, the Australian flag on your bag. And Hazy and I, I don't know about Al, but we're going to come over and punch on with some Koreans next time <laughs> you're in the final round on a Sunday. We're going to start picking some fights just to fly the flag for you, mate. <laughs> Thank you. No we, we got your back, Wanjun. We've got your back. Hey, well done. No, on, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. On, well done again. that win out of the way. Uh, we're, we're all uh, fingers crossed and more than hopeful that there's going to be plenty more to come. Keep playing the sort of golf you're playing and enjoying it more to, uh, more to the point and um, we'll keep watching from afar. Thanks for joining us on the show today. No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Good on you, Juan Jun Lee, joining us. The mystery man of Australian golf is mystery no more because of your magnificent hunting duties, Hazy. Well played to you, my friend. Uh, a break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. More to come after this. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, episode number 110. Uh, we've been hearing at the head of this program about this, what, the shenanigans? Is that the word that was being used about the camp in Houston? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, uh, some really interesting stories have come out of that week. Well, a man who generally <laughs> keeps his cards very close to his chest, very, very hard to get the detail out of uh, Matthew Cutler, the high performance manager of Golf Australia. Oh, he's always got that no, many. No, no, what is it now? Oh, what is it now? Oh, he'll tell you. Well, Matthew Cutler joins as a friend of the pod, in fact, part of the pod. Uh, hello, Maddie. Andy, how are you? Ali, Hazy. What is your title these days? Um, high performance manager for Tasmania and Victoria. Oh, well, I was halfway there. 
the yeah. important parts of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> the most oh. important parts. Uh, what are oh. these shenanigans that um, Whittick is referring to, Matt? Um, shenanigans, I'm not so sure. Uh, just a lot of hard work going on over there. Um, potentially some shenanigans each evening from the coaches, but uh, a lot of hard work from the players. No, my shenanigans that I was referring to was when uh, when I went over there for this oh. for said for said oh. performance camp, and uh, and we ended up we couldn't get a bath to do our ice baths for our recovery after our work, and so I walked out and they said, yeah, meet us by the pool. And Luke Mackey said, yeah, yeah, we've got we're all sorted with ice baths, and we got down there, and it was a rubbish bin that he'd filled with ice, and we had to try and get in it. <laughs> And so we're surrounded by Americans at the pool and going, those crazy Aussies, what are they, you know, look at them, they're getting in the ice baths and stuff like that. And the ice is over, like, spilling, and then we couldn't even get out of it because you look like a, you know, like a tortoise trying to get out of his shell. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just to give you an idea of yeah, what, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I, can, I can confirm that uh, that does still occur. We've... Uh, We've upgraded from the uh, from said trash can to uh, the, the recycling bin type setup, uh, so everyone can fit into that. But uh, it's oh, a bit like so sure, uh, well, well, everyone who's an elite athlete, Hazy. <laughs> touche, touche. Well, that's better. I thought he'd say something about a skip. <laughs> uh, do we, what do we need to? Are you okay? What do we need to know about the camp? We've heard about this camp in the past. I mean, this is. Uh, a fantastic um, opportunity for Australian golfers from you know kind of all four all four corners to arrive and um, get together and you know check take this kind of golfing temperature so to speak. Tell tell us a bit about it. Yeah, well, it began about um, nine years ago now um, as an opportunity for the amateurs that are over there playing the uh, the US amateurs, the Western amateur, the North and South those types of events, both uh, the women and the men, as a chance to just check in. They'd often go overseas for sort of three months at a time and and lose their way. So um, we've got a great relationship with Kevin Kirk, who's uh, the coach of Patrick Reed, and he's got a base at the Woodlands. And uh, Ramsey McMaster all those years ago uh, had the connection. And we came in and it just gave us an opportunity to bring our coaches in, physios, strength and conditioners, and get everyone a bit of a pulse check and uh, and make sure they're going okay and then set them on their way for the last sort of five or six weeks of their trip. But it's, it's evolved, Matty, hasn't it? I mean, it's not only all those different service providers, but it's now, uh, I know last year in Houston, you had um, Patrick Reed himself come along and, and talk, and this year gone a bit more homegrown, um, Greg Chalmers popped in, Minji Lee popped in. It, it, it's, you know, it's your full gamut now. Yeah, it, it certainly has evolved, Hazy. Um, I think the fact that, that our coaches like Richie Smith and Grant Field, Dean Kinney are over there, it gives um, those pros that you mentioned a uh, reason to come down. So Minji popped in. She drove down from Dallas to, to catch up with Richie. Uh, Travis Smythe came in for the week. Brett Coletta, Curtis Luck, they all popped in to, to catch up with coaches and the providers that they've used as amateurs and, and just check in and and just as much check in on their golf game, just catch up with a bunch of Aussies and talk a bit of rubbish and have people that understand their sense of humour pretty much. So before we ask you some more serious questions about, you know, Brett Coletta, for example, I do want to check in with something you just mentioned there. You mentioned that Minji's come down from Dallas. I believe that she might have been uh, rolling in some slightly fancier wheels than perhaps used to rock around Royal Fremantle. 
Yeah, she's um, she's wandered down there in her new Porsche, which uh, which I believe might be one of her first ever purchases as a uh, as a professional. But um, she had the black KN that uh, everyone wanted to wanted to have a go in. But um, fairly understated start. I think it might even be her first car. <laughs> That's outrageous. Isn't How it? did she look in that? Just quietly. Uh, pretty comfortable, actually. <laughs> <laughs> How did you look in it, Matty? Did you manage to sort of sneak yourself, pour yourself into it? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. I uh, I, I just had the hire car for the week, and, and that was good enough for me. <laughs> so you mentioned Brett Coletta. Was he? I mean, he's obviously going through a little kind of run at the moment that you know all young professional golfers go through from time to time. Uh, when you've got a player that turns up who who isn't hitting it the way or not getting the results they want to be getting. Uh, at a you know at, at a juncture like this, Matt, how important can um, can a camp you know like this be? Yeah, well, I actually spent four or five days with Brett before the camp. I went into Salt Lake City and and spent some time with him at the tournament he was playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, oh, the Web dot com <laughs> tour, and um, just. Good chance to see how he's doing. Um, you, you chat and you, you send WhatsApp messages, but it, it's hard to get a gauge on how guys and girls are doing. And then when you spend spend a week with them living in the house, meeting their caddy, um, getting to see how they interact with players on tour, you get a much better idea of how they're faring and how they're coping. And, and Brett's doing a, a great job. He's popular out on tour. And, and you watch him play, and he said in his own words, he there's just something missing. He gets to that sort of 11th or 12th hole and he's he looks at the scoreboard and he's one under and he feels like he's going okay and he's six back already. So um, it was a good chance. Marty Joyce, his coach, came over at the end of that week and then they both came into camp. Um, they did some, some one-on-one work. Brett caught up with Marty McInnes, who's the WA physio that he's done some work with before. And like I said at the start, it's just a tune-up for him Um as much for his body, but his mind as well. It's just an awesome thing, I reckon. It's we heard really so good. It's really good. What mentioned, Matty, was made of Hannah Green, A, of victory, but the house that was, um, it's become sort of folklorish already, hasn't it? The house, uh, the house that Kari built, you might have to call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where so much joy and fun was had in the lead up and then obviously afterwards a big breakthrough major championship win. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so hard for these these girls and these guys to, to leave home and leave their friends. And and we've talked more and more about it in, in the high-performance department this year that it's just a lonely job. It, it sounds great and there's a few private jets flying around, but, but when you start out, there's not. And it's it's a lonely existence and you're in, you're in a hotel room on your own often in a city that you don't know. Um, occasionally you get an Airbnb and they're the fun weeks. So... To go in and spend the week with Brett and his caddy, and we had another caddy uh, that coaches out on tour. Um, I took a footy over, so Brett and I were kicking the footy on the street um, each night, which was uh, which was good fun. Watching, even caught a little bit of front bar. That's uh, one of oh. Brett's favourite shows, Andy. So we watched a bit of front <laughs> bar on YouTube. Um, I wonder he's struggling a bit. <laughs> really questionable. <laughs> They're just craving out. Craving for a bit of uh, bit of normality and a bit of bit of home life and a bit of comfort. It's interesting to hear you kind of talk, Maddie, about a kind of about that sense of of recharge. It, 
when like golf Australia's high performance program, like from when I started playing golf to to where it is now, it is a hundred times better um, and more thorough as well. Will you be kind of making more suggestions in terms of all right this week? Guess what we're doing? We're doing an Aussie house this week. You're gonna you know as long as everyone's getting along, we're gonna do (laughs) you know book a house once every six weeks on tour and then. Do you know what I mean? Like, can you can you encourage them to kind of implement that more into their preparations for the year? Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's very much a horses for courses thing. Um, I caught up with with Curtis Lark and Cam Davis for a couple of days after the camp up in Minneapolis, and and they like to do things a little bit differently. Um, Curtis was staying with um, Hank Leviota, who he had that good uh, week with at the Zurich, who's a mate of his. Um, Cam was staying with Andrew Shuden, his caddy, but um, they definitely love to just mix it up and and do things like that, Ali. I think what they both said was um, that they like to make it not similar every week, have something different every mm-hmm. week, whether it's how they travel to the tournament or where they stay or who they stay with, so that they're always fresh. Yeah, I had, I had this very conversation with Hannah Green last year when she was struggling with a, you know, with being away from everyone, and she she was talking quite openly about it. But it was it was obvious that she was bothered, um, kind of by by that loneliness factor. And I said to her, "All right, we'll just start mixing it up. Go hotel one week so you can have your own space. The next week, pick a host family because there's a lot of that out on tour that we don't really talk about that much. Um, and then the next week, try and rent a house with with people and, mm. and start kind of." just mixing up your environments a little bit and, and work out what works for you. Because it's not for everyone. Like some players love, you know, hotel rooms and, and being that feeling of isolation while they're at um, at events. But I think those players are few and far between. Like mm. you kind of, you lack, you lack a lot of human connection on the, on the, on the tour often. Yeah, totally agree, Ali. And I think you're ahead of the curve there. Like um, mi- mix it up so that you don't get sick of one uh, option. Um, look forward to that week where you have a hotel room to yourself and when you've had too much of everyone else and then and then crave that uh, interaction with others. So, yeah, mix it up. Well, so. You wouldn't you wouldn't realise this, uh, as you haven't been privy to the earlier parts of the show, but you don't know, uh, Matty, that Ali has already oh, added yeah. herself as not only a doctor uh-huh. of sorts but also <laughs> a, um, a, a kinesiologist, champion. a surf-fishing champion and, yeah. a, and a human movement expert. Yeah. It's so this is uh, psychologist is probably just another string to the bow. Really, none, none of us know I was if I was right about that bone. Like no, we none of us have checked that. <laughs> anyway, that's a different. Uh, Maddie's thinking surf fishing and bones. What am I missing here? There's something I, I need to listen back to this entire podcast to know what the hell they're talking about. Hey, last one from me on this. When you get together and you're having the chats and you know you're over a beer and whatever, uh, and you're analysing or no, not, not in a you know, we're just having a chat and you're taking on board everything these guys and girls are going through. How much of uh, the challenge is a an emotional, mental one compared to uh, a technical golf swing issue? Um. I I think it's more sort of between the ears. Personally, mm. these these girls and guys have all got to where they've got to because they've got that uh, talent on the golf course. And the golf, we always say, is the easy part. And that's when they're out there. And Ali, you would know this, having having been on tour. When you're on the golf course or you're during your practice round, that's the easy part because you're doing what you love and and why you're meant to be there. It's everything else around that that, that becomes a challenge. Well, I think that it's it's counterintuitive because you're you're surrounded by 150 plus people, 300 people 
and faces that you know, you know, almost every day of the week. But how, so how can you be lonely? You know, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I think it's and and acknowledging that and actually working that out for yourself. Um, because you know you have a lot of superficial relationships with mm. people, but you know every now and then you want to go to a house where your mate says, you know, you want a cup of tea, and they don't have to ask you how you take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that yeah. kind yeah, of connection. Yeah. And and even though there's 150 so-called mates out there, um, there's very few mates that actually want you to succeed. The other 145 are trying to beat you. So it's a, it's a strange situation they find themselves in. So who should we look out for, Matty? Just, I know you can't sort of single out too many uh, people here as likely US amateur champions or something like that, but did anyone really impress you with the way they were the, not only playing but thinking about it all? Uh, at the Houston camp, Hazy? Yeah. Uh, look, when Greg Chalmers came in, um, the guy that asked the most questions, and, and, and this won't surprise you, was Jed Morgan, and loved the way he, he puts himself out there and asks questions and just wants to get better. Um, Hayden Hopewell, I think, will do pretty well in the next um, little bit, the junior from, uh, from WA. And um, Julian Sue came in, so uh, from currently at Oklahoma, and, uh, or finished up at Oklahoma, and it was good to see her. But, um, oh... Standouts. I think I think everyone did a pretty good job. It's good to see good to see them come in and, and knuckle down and just do what they need to do and and they drive it themselves and it's it's good to see that. Uh, lovely to hear your voice uh, as well, Matthew Cutler. Uh, the inside the ropes. Any episode that you're on is always a better episode for it. So keep up the good work uh, and um, we look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, guys. Matthew Keller, high performance manager from the best part of Australia, joining us on the show. <laughs> oh, you are in so much trouble, Andy. It's ridiculous. Well, well, it just is, isn't it? Like, let's be honest here. Now, let's talk about some other Australian performances around the world um, for for the week. Um, we mentioned young young guys on the rise, and we gave our Aussie, as a week, Aussie of the week status this week to Ryan Ruffles for the third time this year. Uh, he's close. He's getting he? close. Yeah, he's close. So we we talked to him when he was down um, in the trenches in South America. Uh, he was up on uh, the Canadian border. With, uh, that should sound like he's running away from, I mean, what's his name in Colombia? <laughs> well, he might have been. Like getting away from some drug lord down in the trenches. <laughs> I was about? actually going to say something Trying different. I actually cleaned, it. Escobar cleaned, it, up. I cleaned yeah. it up to get to <laughs> trenches. Thank goodness I didn't. Uh, no, he, he's gone. So he's gone to Windsor in Ontario, just near Detroit there and had a six foot putt to get into a playoff on the McKenzie tour in Canada and uh, just just pulled a bit harder than he thought it would, and uh, he missed out. Finished tied second, first ever crack at a McKenzie Tour event. So, mm. great start there. Um, three runner-up finishes now inside three months. Oh, it's it's there. coming. It's there. It is. It is definitely yeah. coming. He's going to peg it up in Toronto this week as his second start in the McKenzie Tour. So, good luck to him. Another result of note on the in North America which is also heartbreaking, maybe even a little more so, was Jamie Arnold. Uh, so Jamie Arnold um, just battling away just outside the top 25 that will get their starts on the PGA Tour next year. Had it under control, was joint leader after three rounds and came to the par five seventh in his final round, a hole that he'd, had, he'd played the previous three days three under. He got there and had a nasty little seven, mm. and um, he ended up losing or missing a playoff by two strokes. So that's going to hurt in the long run. Tied sixth, great result on the 
aforementioned Corn Ferry tour. This is best best tour finish, isn't it? I think so. I think on that tour, yeah. yeah. And you know, we've already got Rian Gibson through. We want to get a couple more. Um, just got to find that win. Mm. Second, even second there doesn't cut it. You got to find that win at some stage during the year. So he's still in the forties uh, and handy, but just needs to get over the line, I think, somewhere. So. Stick at it, Jamie. Uh, we're, we're coming to you soon, too, on our Mystery Men tour mm. uh, of, on Inside the Ropes. So um, hopefully it'll be with just like one June. It'll be after a, a win. Um, there were some other great results around the world, Ali. I know that um, Karis Davidson, our, our favourite, she just keeps keeping on in Japan, she doesn't did. she? She did. Another top 15, I think it was, for, for Karis. And, um, and you know what? She is... She's quite an interesting player. She's not she's not cut like the rest of them in a lot of ways. Um, she's got a different kind of game. She is quite strong mentally. Um, doesn't hit a long way. Hits hits kind of like this, um, kind of a, a boring in terms of the drilling sense, mm. not in terms of fall asleep. <laughs> but you know, a, kind of a, a boring kind of ball flight. And um, and she works with um, she's worked with Ian Triggs, I think, for for years. I presume they're still working together, but. He's got quite an interesting little stable of players, and I'm yes. and I'm happy that she's going to reap the rewards of the other players on his team, like Marina Alex, and and um, he's done a lot of work with Mo Martin as well, mm. and they're two players that really fit her mold, and all three of them break it. So I I think that's incredible for for her to have a well, guy like that to. to he he lets him play, doesn't he? Like we started out talking, started on the show talking about um, Matthew Wolf, and it sounds like he he's a coach who lets his golfers play and work within the natural confines of what they've got and be the best you can possibly be with it. It's worked pretty well. So She's doing great. Mm. So as you heard, Juan June finished tied 38th in Japan this week. Just gone. Uh, the big performer there for Australian perspective was Dave Branston, another top 10 finish mm. for the Victorian veteran, tied for seventh there at nine under. Um, behind an interesting winner, uh, Ryo Ishikawa. Uh, his first win in quite a long time. So that was that was interesting within itself. Uh, we've gone through a few of the different ones. I we we very rarely miss a chance to sort of give ourselves a pat on the back, Andy. So oh. we, we shouldn't do it either uh, when it comes to the Swiss Seniors Open. Now, <laughs> Peter O'Malley, you know, known to everyone who's listening, I'm sure, finished tied second, didn't have a great day in the final round, carted a 70 and, and just finished uh, a couple off the pace, I believe, uh, Jose Cacheras at 11 under. Peter O'Malley tied second at nine under. Now, the inside the ropes link, aside from Peter O'Malley being a good bloke, is that our own... John Huggan was carrying that bag. Is that right? Caddying to the superstars, Peter O'Malley wow. in, the, in the in the Swiss Highlands there at uh, Bad Regards. Bad Bad Regards. Not a clue. Can't You're going you. there soon. You better. I'm not going to Switzerland. Well, I am, but I'm spending five <laughs> minutes there and then driving to <laughs> driving to Evian in two weeks. But... So good on you, Huggy. Uh, well done. Like in Peter O'Malley's sticks around, I'm sure there was at least one beverage consumed after oh, one that. Or two, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and just touching on other results around the world, China, again, another strong hunting ground for Australia. Kevin Yuan from Sydney was tied fifth, and Corey Crawford, the originally a Tasmanian, now Queenslander, uh, also tied 10th. Uh, in the t- and t- disappointing for Maverick Ancliffe, only, only T17, Andy. Yeah, no, and terrible true. result. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine leaving Tasmania to go and live in Queensland. Well, what sort of lunatic would ever do that? Seriously. A cold one. Madman. Well, I've got a couple more, Andy, before you pack up your books. Well, I'm done. But go on. What do you else? What else you got? <laughs> oh, it's good to see that. Uh, we've had a very big week for some young people. just turned w- her computer yeah, off. Yeah, I'm, I'm flying solo now, people. The lights so, are about to go next. Come yeah. on. Very big week for some young Australian women in the United States outside the national camp. Dowie Choi 
Becky Kay, Steph Kiriakou, and today, as we record on Tuesday, Gabby Ruffles have all qualified for the U.S. Women's Amateur, which is awesome. Uh, and there's a chance for a couple more to come through yet. Um, on the men's side, qualifying just starting to kick off soon. Already, I think Dave Michaluzzi, Blake Windred, and Carl Phillips, I understand, are all exempt by their courtesy of their world ranking. So we've already got a strong contingent. Uh, but another wrap for three more young girls. Uh, Maddie Hinson-Tolchard from Perth. Uh, Leon Higo from Queensland and Jun Sung from New South Wales uh, have all qualified for the US Junior Girls Amateur today. So fantastic! Um, just we just sort of keep churning them out. Hashtag and, Golden Era. Yeah, and I want to make mention we we touched base with Cassie Porter last week, um, and um, I don't want to let Corey Lamb's victory in the Queensland Boys Amateur go unnoticed, but I do want to make mention of uh, High Park, who we touched on, and and her golf at Carbrook last week was. Next level, I'm led to believe, in horrific conditions, mm, wind in particular, yeah, yeah. just shocking conditions up there on Logan. Uh, beautiful place, beautiful part of the world, Andy. Logan. Don't you knock, don't you dare Logan, knock Logan. If, you're a, if you watch any current affairs show, <laughs> bad stuff happens in Logan. Andy, we love Logan. Stuff they comes were... out of Logan that you don't, <laughs> makes your hair curl. Andy, we love Logan. They supported the event, and it's particularly High Park loves it. Oh, just the new you. Australian junior champion who will play in the Women's Australian Open next year yep. against all her LPGA heroes. She pantsed everyone except Cassie Porter probably. One to watch out for. One to watch out. Get your black book out. High Park. Panting and pills. You've been a bit focused down south thing. today for my liking. <laughs> uh, that is it. Anything else? No, one, more, one more. One more. Oh, so, I know you love Logan. So if you want, They're about to play you're... the music, Hazy. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> The Oscars. I'm not, I'm not Oscars. Oscars. <laughs> oh, no. What do you got? The Outback Queensland Masters, oh, your yeah, favourite event. Man. Your favourite event, Andy. Where are we in Roma again? Or no, we're now? heading to Winton this week. Yep. And it's back on deck. So Winton this week, Boulia next week, and Mount Isa, the grand final, the week after that. Get out to Winton. The seven tenors are playing, Ali. I'm surprised that you didn't make it and make it eight. Seven tenors in Winton this week. If you're a half a chance, outbackqldmasters.com. This has been the greatest series of single-handed promotions ever in radio from me. I hope me. you're getting a kickback for all this. You've probably got a property. <laughs> Someone's probably giving you a block in, of land or something. In there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this has been arguably the most eclectic uh, <laughs> edition of Inside the Ropes that has ever been. Uh, Ali, safe journey, my friend. Thank we'll you. be listening to your voice and we'll be watching your face, but on our television screens. Oh, so. Likewise, me from afar with you guys. All that the you best. do a great job back home. Good on you. Hazy. Next week. Good luck, Ali. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 110. We'll be back next week to do it all again.